Welcome back to another episode of Actors with Issues. I am your host, Juan Ayala. Today's guest is actor, producer, and playwright Christopher Aguilar, who has worked on a number of series, including Mike and Molly, Shameless, Ray Donovan, Seinfeld, and True Detective. Christopher talks with us about what it was like growing up as a child actor, the biggest challenges in transitioning to becoming an adult actor, as well as how he is bringing light to topics like addiction and mental health through workshops, his new short film, The Hierarchy of Needs, and his very own podcast that just launched, The Christopher Aguilar Show, which you should all subscribe to right now, wherever it is that you're listening. Please enjoy this conversation with Christopher Aguilar. So you are probably one of the only guests who like was like a legit child actor. So how did you, I feel like, or I feel like that's the case. I feel like you sort of had your earliest start when it comes to like booking like legit credits, like so many other people like, you know, did the whole drama school thing and, and whatnot. But like, what, so what's that like for you? Like what, what was it like sort of growing up on the path already as sort of like a working actor? Uh, it's just the idea of working professionally at such a young age. I mean, I got my first like job. I remember it was called Buddy Rabbit Sing Along. <laughs> I was like eight years old and we did like three video cassettes of that job and learning how to be on set and be with other kids and, and work with other stage parents and, and that sort of game um, was really eye-opening for my whole family uh, my parents are both from the Philippines, mm-hmm. and so they literally had no idea what show business was. And um, I was found in a play. I did Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, just a children's theater play. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a manager was in the audience that got me hooked up with an agent, and then I just started auditioning. So, and then to get bag card at nine, I mean, wow. that was that was a that was a big deal. I, I didn't know it was a big deal. I mean, yeah. because I was only nine, right. um, but, 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 but just learning, I think for me as a kid to be learning how to work professionally, be earning somewhat of an income already aware of that. My, my mom was an accountant, so she was very open about telling me like, okay, so you're going to be receiving finances. Now we're going to be putting in a special account for you. Uh, so I, I knew about that growing up. Um, and they always asked me one, they always asked me, do you, do you want to do this? Like after almost after every audition, they're like, do you still want to do this? Cause they weren't, <laughs> they weren't those like pushy stage parents yeah. at all. Like they were like, do you want to do this? And I, and I just said, yes, like, this mm. is what I, I wanted to do. That's so funny. Cause you know, uh, I'm also the child of immigrants from El Salvador um and yeah it's always like i mean i i was never you know i didn't book my first paid acting job until i think was like 19 or 20 and it was like a 50 bucks a show children's theater production of annie it was like you know it was it wasn't anything legit but like prior to that i always loved acting i, lo- I did shows at school and it never entered their mind like oh like they want to be an actor even though i knew damn well that that's exactly what I wanted to do I was like if I can't be like a music teacher then I want to be like you know or a chef like my dad then I want to be an actor um but what was that like for them uh for your for your family were they as you were growing up and and you know sort of booking more work and 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 whatnot was it was there a sense of like fear I, I mean I'm sure there was of what family doesn't but you know like uh worry or anything like that for like 
is, you know, are, are they going to be okay? That sort of thing. Yeah, of course. I think because we, I was surrounded by so many other kids doing this profession and we, I would go to acting classes and I did, a, I did 30 episodes of this TV show called Kid Songs. Mm. Um, and so they met other bands that had kids in the industry. And I think they were definitely fearful. So I think their solution to making sure that I didn't go down a wrong path was um, keeping me in public school. Because a lot of a lot of the child actors during my time were homeschooled, and so um, so they were just really adamant about keeping me in public school. And then whenever I had to go in auditions, they would just tell my teachers and just tell them, you know, we're going to pull them out for a couple of days or whatever if I have to work or something like that, and just keep that communication open. So they always instilled like that education because they knew that I need that sort of backup plan if if I didn't continue with this as a profession. So they were very aware of that, but they were definitely fearful that it would, I would go down a wrong path, you know, being in the industry at such a young age. Yeah. And, you know, we only ever hear of all of the child stars gone crazy. You never hear of any of the success stories, the ones that transitioned. People forget that people like Ryan Gosling was like a, a kid actor. No one ever talks right. about it because he turned out okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of course, there's that inherent fear. Um, you know, our parents, especially uh you know uh families of uh that are like immigrant families only want us to thrive to build off of what they gave us and when we're like i want to struggle they're like what <laughs> it's just right. it's, it's such an interesting thing to 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 sort of figure out like what their perspective is um on it because yeah i won't i won't go down the rabbit hole <laughs> that could be a very long conversation no, well, about... but, but a shout out a shout out to my parents and i know yeah. they're going to be listening to this so i just want to thank them and show my gratitude for them for always supporting me in my dreams yeah. and knowing very well that they've accepted that I'm going to be struggling for the rest of my life pretty much. So always wondering where the next paycheck is coming from. It's, I mean, it's so funny because hearing uh, other actors talk about um, like Jenna Fisher from the office, her book, the actor's life, a survival guide is like one of my favorite books. And mm -hmm. um, you know, hearing her talk about how she struggled for eight years uh, she, you know, fresh out of college, went right to LA. Um, I think she worked like at her, in her hometown for a year to save up money and then moved to LA, you know, struggling, auditioning constantly for eight years. And then once they got their first season of the office, it was only six episodes. It wasn't even like a proper 13 episode order. So it's like, uh, wait, so are we doing because the, the original the the uk version was i think only six episodes too so they're like is this it like we you know booked a series regular but for six episodes like what <laughs> so it's like you know there's always that uncertainty um yeah even when you book like a network comedy or or, or you know a, a huge or a, what they might well they hope will be like a huge netflix show or something there's always this sort of level of uncertainty like, okay we booked it now we got to finish the season now or are we getting renewed you know, it's always this whole, this whole thing. So what is your, what is sort of like your, I guess, like top goal in terms of like acting? Is it series regular? Is it like film franchise? Like, what is it? We're going to get it. We're going to, wow. we're going to manifest and visualize all of this for you. Wow. <laughs> Speak it out. Yeah. My, my ultimate goal for, for now uh, is 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 leading my own series mm. and i've started that um with a short film that my friend ryan and i made um that's very personal 
and sharing a bit of my own story uh, called The Hierarchy of Needs. And I love it. I just watched it. As soon as you sent me the oh, link, you- I was like, I have to watch this before this interview. It was so good. Oh, thank you so much, Juan. Absolutely. That means a lot to me. Okay. Uh, so just turning that into a series, yeah. um, you know, my, my dream network, because it has some sexual... <laughs> um, yeah. sexual uh, content. Um, my, my dreams network is like Cinemax or something. And of course, like Netflix and Hulu is awesome. But like, yeah. you know, I think Cinemax is also like paired up with Hulu and stuff like that. So just because mm-hmm. I remember like more sexual content was on. Uh, so I'm, to manifest it, I want to manifest that happening, you know, being able to present my pilot to, um, you know, to Cinemax. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just putting it out there for any execs that are that are with Cinemax. Um, but yeah, I, that's, that's like an ultimate goal for me right now. And also I've never done a feature film that's been in the movie theater. Mm. So I think that's like a double thing. Oh, and then Broadway. I mean, I can't, (laughs) I I just, I can't, I can't not say Broadway. I mean, that, that's a dream, but, um, but yeah, to keep on series, to be in a feature film and to, and to uh, be on Broadway, I think are the top three dreams that are so classic, so common for actors. But, um, but yeah, you know, to this day, and I wanted to add in about the uncertainty thing that Mm -hmm. you were talking about. It was, um, it was instilled in me, the uncertainty of this profession, Mm -hmm. from being able to do 30 episodes at nine, and then never getting a series regular still to this day. I mean, I, I was, it was ingrained in me auditioning so many times. I've always lived by the philosophy that we book um, for every 100 auditions, we book at least one. Mm-hmm. So I've always approached every phase of my life and auditioning as, okay, I just got to get on the list or 99 and I'll book that, I'll book that last gig, you know? So yeah. it's like, that's my mentality. And, and to be raised in the industry that way has really shaped who I am and, and my backbone in this industry. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we hear that, we hear that a lot about, you know, for every, for one, yes, there's a hundred no's that come before it. And it really is true. Gosh, you know, uh, I've only had uh, reps that have really been getting me consistent auditions for the past couple of months. It only happened like during COVID and it's like, I'm not gonna get my hopes up for any of these. I'm not gonna, you know, we're gonna, Sort of, of course, it's all self tapes now. So I don't have my normal ritual of like leaving the, the casting building, throwing my sides out in the nearest trash can, or ripping them up and throwing them out. So that's usually my thing. It's like rip it up, oh, throw it out. That. I love that. Yeah, because it's like I don't even. I, have, I have I'm not gonna look at these over on the subway and wonder what could I have done differently. Nope, shred <laughs> right. it into the garbage, and we're done. Oh we're going gosh. to the gym or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, that's like my pact that I've had with mm. myself. Every time I tell my, my family about an audition, I go on it and I go, okay, now we're not, we're not going to talk about it anymore. Like, we just don't, we just don't talk about it, you know? And if, if people ask me like, oh, tell me how your audition went. I go, I probably won't because I just don't <laughs> want to talk about it anymore. Right. And it's funny because even uh, with now with self-tapes, it's like, well, I, I did it. How did it go? I did it. I sent it. I didn't see any reactions because it was a tape, which is good because you're not psyching yourself out. You're just like, and my whole thing is like rehearse, 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 rehearse. Um, three takes tops. Like I'm recording three takes and then that's it. But I have to rehearse it before. I'm not going to do like, okay, let's film this rehearsal because then you're nitpicking everything. And um, yeah, it's been, um, it's been a, a crazy couple months because I've just been, you know, very 
fortunate with the reps that I have now to be doing a couple like co-star auditions. It's like the simple ones, like a two line nurse or the waiter or whatever. It's like, why am I overthinking the line? Can I get you some coffee? Like there's <laughs> sure there's a thousand ways to say it, but the 99 of those are the wrong thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was when I was least thinking about it is when I booked it was, it was this, it was this gig called Matador. It was the show for mm-hmm. the El Rey network. And I went in and I had to say a line in Burmese in like Myanmar. Okay. And uh, anyway, I, long story short, I, I said it, I went in and said it and all these people were, it was for a Burmese paramedic and everyone was, um, everyone was dressed in like paramilitary guard uniform or whatever. And I was yeah. like, oh, and then they all looked more, more Burmese than me. You know I mean? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. But um, I went in, said the line, didn't think about it at all. And then next thing I know, the next day I book it. Like you never really know, like with this freaking profession. Yeah. You know, they always say just like acting is because, you know, especially when we come from theater, it's like acting is like the process and the backstory and developing the character. But and it's all of this huge thing, because sure, when you've got four to six weeks of rehearsal, you have time to do all of that. But when you have 48 hours notice to deliver a line on camera, yeah. there's no time for any of that. You know, it's like that. I feel like that's yeah. one of the biggest challenges that theater actors um, who sort of accidentally find themselves doing TV and film all of a sudden, that's one of the hardest sort of transitions is like the speed of everything, especially with auditions. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, they give you two weeks to read the play or you, or you're familiar with the work already, but with TV scripts, no one has seen these scripts. So it's always like new, it's a cold reading basically. Um, mm-hmm. But has, was that a challenge for you at all? Like, or actually because you started in TV and then went to school for, did you find like a, a, a weird transition going from one yes. to the other? Oh yes. Um, yeah. Growing up in TV and film and then going to a drama school in London. I mean, it was a huge and, and a, a huge wake up call. It was yeah. like a reality check. Cause it was like, Oh, this is what acting is. <laughs> Cause I, I learned, I know, yeah. seriously, I, I learned to, that's why I, I was, I was taking Johnny Wu's class when you were past um, yeah, yeah. guests and I was, and, I, and um, he was like, you're just, bro, you're just saying the lines. Like yeah. what? Like you're not even listening. You know, he was like doing this whole thing. And I was like, I think it's my child actor syndrome. Mm. Like I was just taught to just hit my marks, say my lines, you know, after these person's lines and do it. And I think I just, I, it's ingrained in me. If, if I'm not really fully invested mm. in a role and usually it's not you with auditions, we can't be that fully invested, especially right. with TV and films. Like you're saying like, you know, but when you get, but when I, when I learned theater and I went to a theater school, that's when I was like, Oh, like I can embody someone like how when we put makeup on, it's not necessarily putting on the makeup. You're stripping away yourself to Mm. be present as, as the person. Love that. I've never heard that before. That is great. I really like that. Yeah. I forgot where I heard it from. So I I have to pay credit to someone, (laughs) but, um, but, uh, but yeah, so it was in theater school that I was like, Oh, so there's more than, than just, reciting the lines than just Mm. saying the lines um but that's what it was like for me a huge wake-up call I was like oh shit this is like this is for real and then when I started doing theater like like equity like equity theater equity contracts yeah I was just like 
oh, the, it's, it's hard. It's harder. It's harder. <laughs> it's harder maintaining a role show after show and then to deliver it fresh every yeah. performance. I find it much more difficult than TV and film for sure. Yeah. Because on TV and film, you get this like posh dressing room, you know, when you're working on a big network TV show, yeah. they give you this awesome, you know, cause you, you did blind spot, right? That's, that, that yes. was yours, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That you got the reoccurring. Congratulations on that, by oh, the way. That's <laughs> such a great role. I got to say, I saw some of your, your reel, but um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. It's, you get, you know, you get spoiled because it's like, oh, this dressing room that's like, for me is like, I can picture like eight seats and mirrors across the wall. And this is like the men's dressing room because that's what yeah. theater is like. It's like, wow, yeah. I feel spoiled. And then it's just really funny because I remember working on blind spot the day that I, it was basically like my shortest day um, is when I got like the big dressing room at the studio. And then for my biggest day, because there were so many of us in the episode, I had like the honey wagon. It's basically like just this, the couch table <laughs> and, and a your heater and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so funny how, uh, you know, it's like, Oh, we're being humbled. Good. Let's stay humble. <laughs> yeah, Stay humble. Stay humble. For other guests, I would normally ask like, were there any performances as a kid that you're like, that's what I want to do. But it's like, well, you were doing it back then. So like, but watching the, <laughs> watching adults perform uh, in film or in television or theater, um, was there anyone that you're sort of like, I want to get to that? Yeah, uh, it was Starlight Express, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, as sad as, sad wow, as that is. Deep cut. When I, yeah, <laughs> deep cut. When I, when I saw Starlight Express in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, I was so inspired. That's such to a Vegas show, perform. too. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, such a Vegas show. Um, it, it, the meaning of the musical, it's not so much that it was like the spectacle of it. It was mm -hmm. the fact that this engine that could, this little train could surpass every other train and, and, and win. And be, just, just because he believed himself. I think, I think that um, spoke mountains for me growing up. Mm -hmm. um, so so I, I, I pay a lot of my my achieving my dreams and my goals, I pay a lot to that, to Starlight Express. So that's when I, I saw, and that's, and then, and then it was only when I saw Gael Garcia Bernal in Amor Peros that I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can do this as an adult. Like this is, mm. this is the type of performances that I want to give. Yeah. When I saw that performance, I was like, oh, cool. So then I saw what school he went to and I auditioned for that school and I got in and I went like, <laughs> that's the type of person I am. Mm. I, I see a goal, like when I wanted to book uh, uh, a role on a soap opera in an American soap opera, because I went to school in London. So I was like, I want to go back to the States. I want to get an American soap. I literally like searched out where the casting director was holding workshops, found her, took her class. She brought me in for an audition. I booked it. Like that's, that's, that's the way I go about my, yeah. my goals. Yeah. For, I mean, that, honestly, that's one, of the own, that's one of the few linear formulas of uh of getting yourself booked when you don't have a rep because you know so many young actors are like i don't have an agent they want people with credits but how can i get credits without an agent you know it's that horrible cycle I, mind you the real world is like that too it's like hiring with two years experience you know at whatever type of business and then no one's hiring unless you have experience so how do i get experience uh it's you know it's all these businesses are exactly the same show business and and everything else 
but yeah, you know, that's been such a big sort of philosophy for me as well. Um, still today, I ask my reps for my submission reports and I'm like, okay, who hasn't called me in? Where do they have workshops? Uh, <laughs> you know, just trying to get, because it's just the simplest way to do it. Even when you have reps, you still have to put in the same amount of work. Um, oh, yeah. You know? That's what my agent told me when I was, when I just transitioned to an adult, she said, uh, we get paid 10% of yeah. your, of your check, which means you have to do at least 90% of the work. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that rang true for me. Yeah. So we have to do all that work. And, you know, people think that like, I have an agent now, like I'm good. I'm set. Like no, you know, all my problems are solved. I don't have to do anything anymore. It's like, uh, nope, you still have to, you know, do everything you're doing before. It's like, you you didn't hire a you know you didn't hand over the reins as like the CEO of your actor business you hired a manager you know to take off a little bit of the work they're now submitting you so you're not viciously on actors access and backstage every day you know submitting yeah. for all these things but it's like even though you should still be doing that uh, I will admit I don't do it as often as I should uh, but yeah you know it's it, that's a that's a big conversation that uh, people don't have with with younger actors is is that whole sort of um thing with with reps and and how you know that's a huge misconception i feel like is that like um once you have a rep you know everything's going to be smooth sailing from now on it's like no you're going to get more auditions you're going to get more heartbroken because you're getting more auditions yeah. uh what was sort of what was something that you learned when you sort of like first got your reps like as as an adult as an adult ooh mm. Uh, I learned that I had a niche. I learned typecasting mm. um, because I booked a job while I was still doing my grad program in London. I booked it in Blackpool, England of all places. And it was a drag queen cabaret show called Funny Girls. Okay. And I was made a drag queen in a matter of minutes. And when I came back to LA with this like vast experience in drag, all of a sudden, and this was at 2010 to 2013. So it was just before the tipping point of Laverne Cox mm. coming out as the most, like the, 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 you know, trans, a trans performer that, that is like receiving that accolades for like being herself. Um, so I was auditioning for roles um, before that, where it was just burgeoning of like drag queen roles, transgender roles. Um, and, uh, and when I, it was at an audition for I Love You, Your Perfect, it was like, a, and I literally was like going to turn around because I was driving up the five freeway and there was so much traffic. I was going to turn around, but I'm so glad I didn't because I went in for the audition. The pianist turned out to be an agent for a small like boutique agency. And she like was a smoker and she was like, yeah. are you looking for an agent? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yeah. And, and then, um, and then we had a meeting and I showed them my drag pictures and they were like, Oh, they're starting to cast for these type of roles. Yeah. And so those were the first ones that I booked um, as an adult actor uh, being on, on my transgendered girl being on shameless as a drag queen. Um, those were my first like breakthrough auditions for, mm. and, and roles that I got to play. So yeah, so I think I answered your question. <laughs> I just realized I sort of rambled, but um, but I, but yeah, it was uh, it was that when I, yeah, it was 
for me as getting reps as an adult, it was learning that I have a foot in the door. Like we all have something mm-hmm. special to share. Yeah. And I had that to share, you know, my experience as a girl. Um, so those were the roles that I was booking at first. And you have to find your niche because that's what the casting directors need. So yeah. you fulfill their need. And then, and you were talking about this in your past, uh, your, one of your talks with Noma, uh, the casting as a collaboration. Mm-hmm. Like, I believe that when the casting, they'll, they'll bring you in more. They'll bring you in later. I had a casting director at South Coast Repertory that was like, brought, brought me in four years later. You know, mm-hmm. and just, just thought of me because I had laid down the, the the seed, you know, seeing them prior to that. And I just, yeah, I strongly believe that casting is a collaboration and yeah, adult acting is so hard, <laughs> so much harder than child acting. Oh my gosh. Autumn is officially upon us, and whether you live in New York City or Los Angeles, everyone deserves to experience those classic scents of autumn, and that's why I'm thrilled to be partnering once again with Redondo Road Candlemakers to announce their new line of autumn-inspired scents, which include apples and maple bourbon, baked apple pie, and the classic toasted pumpkin spice. Redondo Road candles are hand-poured right here in the U.S. and made from 100% natural soy wax and all renewable resources. Burning on my desk right now is their Amber Noir candle, which is a warm fusion of mandarin, jasmine, and amber with hints of sandalwood and musk that just whisks you away on a warm cabin getaway. Another favorite of mine is their cake candle, which smells like the sweetest, yummiest vanilla frosted cake you have ever smelled. Redondo Road candles start at just $15 for their 5.5 ounce jars and are shipped within the continental U.S. For more information, visit RedondoRoad.com. That's RedondoRoad.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, that's something that um, was definitely a wake-up call as well, was um, not just learning and figuring out what your type is and and your niche and all that but learning to embrace it because yes. so many people look a certain way and on television it's like oh i can see you as that no problem They're like oh i don't want to play that it's like it doesn't matter what you want to play all right right <laughs> what do you fit right now you can worry about yeah. the, the the accolade worthy big dramatic or comedic roles later like you like comedy cool. You kind of look like a serial killer. So we're going to put you on Mindhunter or, you know, a show like that. It's like, it's, it's embracing your type and all that stuff is super important too, because, you know, it's just like, there are very few linear paths or formulas in this industry. And one of them is, is, you know, just learning to embrace your type. If, you know, some people, you know, will look like the most New York city looking cop ever, but they're like, I want to play a leading man. And we're like, well, there's not really that for you right now. So we'll work on it. But you know, that's when you write and produce your own work because that's a huge thing as well. So many guests in the, in, in on, on the show in the past have 
you know, written and shot and produced their own shorts that have gone on to win a ton of awards and has led to other opportunities. And it's like, well, yeah, because they weren't taken, you know, like seriously by some of the folks in charge in, in particular roles. So they had to be like, Hey, look, this is me doing it. Here's like proof that I, that this is like me and this is what I can do and what I can bring to the table because, you know, the, the industry pigeonholes us so much already that for us to mm-hmm. do it to uh, ourselves even more, like I know, I won't, I, obviously I don't like want to put anyone on blast, but um, you know, there's always been actors like, Oh, I don't, I only want to do commercials. I don't want to do theater. I want to do this. So you're going to just ignore all this other opportunity. Like right. you're going to pigeonhole yourself when we're, you know, when the industry does that plenty, especially in the commercial world, commercials yeah. all about type. It's like, you know, I know yeah. a ton of people have gotten cast in commercials, like national commercials off of like headshots alone because, Oh, you look like a stoner. Great. We're going to give this to you because we've seen a reel and that's it. You know, yeah. it's, <laughs> I love that. I love embracing your, your type because I learned in a workshop uh, a while ago that the, 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 the key word to the word typecasting is cast. Mm. <laughs> like you get the job, right? <laughs> you get the job. So embracing work, you know, just yeah. getting work um, before the accolade jobs, right. Is, is, is really important in this industry for sure. So, yeah. So that's what led me to producing my own work for sure. Yeah. And yeah, you know, uh, just piggybacking on that. Um, you know, the word it's in the word cast is in the word typecast because it's like those people are booking those roles. You can't complain about being typecast if you have a blank resume, you know, like that's, it's only if you've, you know, if you've played the stoner on 10 different network TV shows, sure. Complain all you want and then change your look. (laughs) That's also a big thing too. When people are like, Oh, well, like my cat, my type isn't like very castable. Okay. So change your type. Do you have to start lifting weights? Do you have to get a haircut? Do you have to, you know, change how you dress or at least get new headshots? Cause that's a big mm-hmm. thing too, is, is your, your marketing materials. That's so glossed over. It's like, you know, a lot, I know plenty of people whose headshots are just basically like a portrait or a pretty picture of them. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you look lovely. You could play the girl next door based off this headshot. That's about it. You know? And yeah. When's the last time we saw a movie that had the girl next door? That's such a nineties sort of concept, you know, yeah. it's all nostalgic. Um, before I go down the rabbit hole any further. <laughs> right. Yeah. Headshots can be a whole other conversation. Yeah. Which I do not want to touch upon. <laughs> <laughs> Those are like the death of me headshots. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, the marketing is just because that's another just very long process that we may not want to deal with, but it's like, well, there's no one else to deal with it for us. Uh, yeah. Reps is certainly aren't going to do it for us because they have dozens of hundreds of other clients. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, so, yeah. 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 I was just going to say there's, there's that conversation with like, I guess it's actors with issues. So like my issue is headshots. <laughs> like, like I, I would, I, my approach was I work with my photographer friends in finding the best headshot for myself. But mm. then there was like the talk with my manager were like, Chris, like you got to get headshots that are like the A game headshots. So there's mm. that, that debate. Like, do you, do I want to be creative and like be like very specific about my characters that I want to play? Or do I want to have these like, awesome photographers that are really costly produce my headshots because those are the a game headshots. Like it's anyway, so that's, that is a yeah. whole other conversation, but yeah. Um, well, yeah, just to elaborate on that a little bit, you know, um, 
because you know there's like the photographers it's like they all have their own style and if Mm -hmm. everyone goes to that photographer and all of your headshots look the same that's also kind of a hindrance because then it's just like this like blurred wall of the same backdrops the same lighting the same angles the same um and not every photographer like not everyone should ever go to the same photographer if like they're great with dramatic shots you need some bright quirky commercial shots don't go to that person because that's not their thing sure they're really amazing what they do but that's what they do and it's um you know as we've as you said headshots can be very costly and the last thing you want to do is put all that money down and hate your headshots because they're not what you needed because you might have gone to the wrong person or the consult wasn't as good as that's also a big thing. Always get a consultation before you you book a photographer. Oh, that's okay, that's good to know. Thing. That's good to know. Have a consultation first. So that yeah. means like meeting in person first to see like if it's a good like match kind of thing. So one of the photographers that I've worked with, she does, you know, during COVID, she does the consultations over Zoom. Um, mm. But it's very much like sort of discussing like getting a vibe for you as a person because, you know, as you as we were saying before with auditions and whatnot like you end up booking the ones that you do the most natural so it's also like you know embracing your type is like who you are and what you look like and what you sort of bring to the table um sort of as quickly as possible um like again i feel if you look like the stoner type or the nerd or whatever it's like okay so that's you so uh, we need to get like a sort of a what do you sound like because your headshot isn't going to show that but you know you want to sort of know like okay are you the a thousand words per minute nerd are you the sort of like more recluse nerd in the corner who's reading his comic book by himself or is he like the the nerd who you know gets in trouble because he mouths off to the bully or whatever you know Mm. it's like nerd is like so broad and the same with the stone are you like the slow moving one are you the one that's like paranoid are you know it's like all these little tiny smaller subsets so figuring that out especially has been really helpful with um with headshots especially with like the commercial ones because those can be super Uh, specific for sure you're really good at character breakdowns (laughs) my agent said that once (laughs) oh you did i was like if you need an intern or an assistant i'll do it (laughs) um so uh, I want to go back and talk about your short. So you um, mentioned that you were developing that uh, into a series. Mm-hmm. Um, so like what inspired you to, did, did you write the short as well or, or no? No, Ryan, my friend Ryan wrote, wrote the short. Gotcha. I inspired the story of it. The arc okay. we came up together with it together and she basically wrote. Yeah. Gotcha. It's like collaborated on the story, but then you wrote the, he wrote the, the actual script. Um, yes. So what, inspired you to sort of collaborate together for this particular project it was a class he uh he emailed me because i was over at pub right next to usc which is like a big film school and he emailed me saying i have to do a film every week he had to produce a film every week in this class and so i know right and so he said one week he's like uh there's a theme called self-satisfaction and I want you to help me make this film. And I immediately knew what I wanted to cover. And it was my, um, it was my battles. It's it's, spoiler alert. um, But uh, it is, it is my battles with sex addiction. So I said, okay, 
let me um, think about this one and let's, let's talk about it. So we talked about it and that's what inspired it. It was my own life experience, um, wanting to put it out on film and to share that experience with different film festivals has been probably the most, as an adult, one of the most enlightening experiences ever to do Q and A's about my own personal life story mm -hmm. in a way um, was, was really, really vulnerable. Um, but that's exactly the type of art that I want to make as an yeah. artist. So with um, hierarchy of needs, is it hierarchy? Yeah, that's it. Hierarchy of needs. Um, where do you see it going? Like, where do you see the story sort of unraveling, um, you know, without giving out too many spoilers, obviously. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, where do you see the, the story going, your character going? Um, and yeah, just like sort of what's your, what's your sort of vision for what's it is? And are you sort of developing it as us like tr traditional like one hour or like a shorter sort of like the length of what the short was sort of like a web series almost yeah um i think it's whatever platform um uh, gives us the space to do it i i, I see it as an hour-long series yeah. um but i can also see myself doing it in little six minute increments so i think it's just a matter of like are we going to self-produce or are we going to are we going to present this pilot as, yeah. as, as a key to the doorway to being able to do an hour long? Yeah. Um, but my vision, my vision for it is an hour long episodic um, like HBO Cinemax, you know, uh, and the, the arc that I see the character going into um, is battling his sex addiction, going to 12 step meetings um, and not being able to, cause there's the shame of something like this within the Asian American culture, mm. um, because it's just unheard of. Like for anyone who, uh, for, I mean, in any culture, I mean, if you, if you say that you have paid for sex, it, that's a topic that unleashes a whole, whole can load of shame. Um, and, and I had to face it head on and so um, I'm going to battle that. I'm going to battle uh, family um, things. So like, I know, I know the mother and I know who I want to play the mother. Cause that's my grandma is Marilyn Takuda. Shout out to her. She's an amazing actor. Mm. My grandma. Um, but uh, there's also a, an, an actress named Kimiko Gelman that I want to play my mother. And I, mm. I, I, I have put, I put, I wrote my mother in jail in this episode and I, and I want the scene between Marilyn and Kimiko. So I, I'm like, so I think I'm also writing it around my, my network of friends mm -hmm. that are actors. I think I'm like, I know who's going to be like my sponsor in my 12 step. Right. Like I know who I want to play that and, and, and things like that. So that's, that's my vision. My vision is to, to create a community of actors that I've worked with or that I, I I'm like dreamed of working mm -hmm. with and making it that sort of function in my life. Uh, not necessarily just because I want to star in a, in a series, I, I want it to be a, a, a community. I want it to be a village yeah. of, of like-minded people. I the, the whole um, sort of approach and mindset to um, finding your village and, and collaborating with those people, um, you know, Noam talked about it in, in one of our more recent episodes of, um, you know, finding that group of people who can help you tell the story you want to tell. Um, and that's super important. Uh, and yeah, I, I love the short and I'm really excited to see what, what you do with it next. Um, 
because you know that's a, a topic that if it is talked about sometimes it's like poked fun at it yeah like if there's a sex addict it's like oh they're horny all the time or whatever it's like oh, it's not it's not that simple like that's you know it's so much like you know it's showing like the financial struggle of it and 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 um robbing like family and, and stuff like that it's like it's the whole thing it's um you know there's so many other little facets of it that are glossed over and that's with most um addictions and mental illnesses and all those other and a lot of other things that are like stigmatized it's that um they're looked at at such a broad sort of perspective and only a couple little things that like because with i feel like with a lot of stigmatized topics people are like oh we don't want to get into that it's like no get into it because that's what needs to be talked about you know like yes depression isn't just you know like being sad and like in and anxiety isn't just like you know having a panic attack and you can't breathe it's like there's so much more that people don't know about and because no one talks about it or shows you know adds that to the story it's um you know it's just something that like still isn't really widely known i feel like you know i've talk to my family because I I've suffered from depression my sister has before as well and we asked my parents like do you guys suffer from depression They're like no just no I don't think so we're I'm like oh you guys definitely do you liars but it's like you know they don't know it or they don't want to admit it or they don't know the signs they're like no I'm not sad all the time like, that's not what it is you know it's so much more than that yeah. it's like you know do you sleep a full eight hours and you still feel like garbage do you lose your appetite do you you know have fatigue and all this all these other things um yeah but thank you for shining a light on that particular topic and for sharing your story because it's very brave and it's something that um you know definitely needs to be talked about because i feel like it's more common than people let on especially with um you know with um the sort of dating culture um in big cities and also within the lgbt community we have all these oh, hookup apps yes. and people, yes. you know, that's how they cope is, is through apps yep. like, like Grindr and all these other, you know, places where they can sort of just, you know, no questions asked, just meet up with someone. And, you know, it's definitely something that needs to be talked about. And I think that your that hierarchy is very much going to shine a light on that. So I, I again, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, um, to what you do with it. Cause mm, yeah. Of course. Yeah. And that's, and that's been my purpose, uh, you know, breaking the stigma of mental illness. Um, I, I mentioned it uh, in my letter. I, I wrote a play to help break the stigma of mental illness. And for the past three years, we've been doing the play and having the conversation afterward about mental health. Mm-hmm. So it's become a huge purpose of mine. Um, and that play is called Stand with a capital D on the end. Um, and where did you have that... Um produce or has it been like um did you guys tour or, or how did you produce yeah, yeah we, we toured it um we uh we just produce it ourselves and then we just sort of like get paid with different mental health conferences okay. schools hospitals um churches um we've done it in over 20 different organizations the past three years um and and really it's a 30 minute play uh developed over at east west players i don't know if you've heard of east west players it's our nation's leading theater of color they've been around for over 50 years in los angeles um so it does mainly asian american storytelling so uh 
we developed it there and uh and i'm now developing that into um a full-length version of the play because people have watched the 30 minute and they're like what like let's <laughs> know more about this character and i yeah. go okay cool so we had a reading for that last december of my full-length version of the play called mm -hmm. stanley's painting and so I'm, I'm also writing very much as well writing a lot so yeah yeah that um you know like uh what we've talked about sort of telling the story that you're best served to tell um mm -hmm. Also super important, especially with um, with a lot that's going on right now. It's sort of like this, you know, knowing what is our story to tell and what's not. Um, and I think pulling from our own experiences is very important because no one can tell your story better than you. You know exactly, exactly. And bipolar disorder is what I live with. Mm -hmm. At least I was, you know, coined that at a very young age. I I've made it my life's purpose to and not be labeled as bipolar disorder. Even though I use it as a way to talk about things, I'm, I'm here to show that I'm just a human with human issues. And, uh, and, I, and I'm doing everything I can to break down those walls of, of the label mm -hmm. that is a mental illness and just finding a path to mental wellness. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew more at the beginning of your career? I wish I had such an early career. <laughs> yeah, it's such an early career. I wish I knew how hard it was. Mm. I wish somebody told me right off the bat that this is a really hard profession. Um, harder in a sense that we talked about the uncertainty. We talked about, you know, 100 auditions. Um, mm. I'm going to cry. Like, I just, um, it's Ooh, um, it's hard because what makes it so hard is that our passion is so great yeah. and our dreams are so big that the reality of the business is, is cutthroat. It's a hustle. It's, it's, it has to be self-made um, in every sense. I mean, even though you work with villages to make things happen, I understand yeah. it's a collaboration, but to get up every morning and just say, okay, I'm dedicated to being an actor. I'm dedicated to being an actor. That I wish someone told me at an early age and said, you know, you, you have to really want it. And then you have to really want work because a lot of me doesn't want to do the work and, and, and hanging on to that dream. Um, I, I may have had the blessings of doing it as a child but um, it was so easy then. My parents took care of the mm -hmm. finances. My parents drove me to auditions. My parents, you know, handled all the paperwork. Um, but as an adult, you, you do all that on your own. So yeah. if someone just said, yo, you know what? This is probably one of the hardest professions on the planet. And you have to really want to do the work, not just want the dream. You have to want to do the work. And if you don't, then you have to find something else to do. Yeah. My, um, my acting coach, James um, Sicone, he's a working actor in New York. He's been in the business for decades. Um, he, at the top of every class, because pretty much every round, because they're all done on Zoom, and like every round, there's someone new. Um, and he always says, he's like, look, guys, if I can talk you out of pursuing a, a career as an actor, then you know it's not for you. But if I can't talk you out of it, then maybe we've got something. And so many people can be talked out of it. And it's like, but no one tries to talk them out of it besides like 
you know, maybe their parents who it's like, oh, they're just being dramatic. You know, my parents don't know anything about the business. So they don't know. But it's like, no, if an actor can talk you out of it, then we know this really isn't maybe the right thing. But, you know, when our parents and family, especially at such a young age, try and be like supportive and all that stuff, it's like, well, no one told me <laughs> about what this is like as an as an adult because being a kid actor like as obviously you know is is one thing but then once you start going for more um adult age roles it's it's an entirely different ball game but i have to say when you do book that role and i think it was Cary grant that was on the set and this new time director had him come in at like 7 a.m and he mm-hmm. didn't get to Cary grant shots to like noon or something so he went up to him and he apologized and he's like i'm so sorry mr grant you know we didn't get to your shot um until now and he said you know what uh don't worry about it uh that's what they pay me for they pay me to wait yeah the acting part is the fun part you know that's so when you book i mean i want that person to tell me at the beginning of my career if they could but you know what it's hard but when you book it it's probably the greatest it's the greatest thing ever right? When you get to yeah. actually act, yeah, it's the greatest thing. And they just pay you to wait. They pay you to wait. It's at least for being film and TV. They right. pay yeah. you to wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With, you know, with, uh, with shows like Blind Spot, like one of the last days that I worked on it, um, when we did the series finale in the episode I did right before that, um, with those two episodes, those were the longest days that I'd worked. One of them was an overnight shoot in Times Square for the finale. Um, so it's like, you know, they had to shut down Times Square somehow wow. they did it, but they yeah. just like, cause they did that for the pilot too. Um, it's kind of like the iconic shot of like her, you know, a tattooed arm coming out of like a, a body bag in the middle of Times Square. Um, hey. but, um, you know, with, with that, it was very much like just lots of waiting. Cause you know, we had a 4 PM call time. We had to wait for sundown for dusk to even start shooting. So it's like, okay, 4 PM, uh, we've got three hours of just waiting, but like they're setting everything up. You got to go through your whole makeup process or whatever. And then you have to wait. And you know, if you really like break it down, like, you know, by the numbers, it's like, how much acting did you actually do today <laughs> between action yeah. and cut Add all that up and then look at the scope of the day, maybe 10% of the day where you actually working, everything else is waiting. And it's so funny yeah. to experience that because, you know, everyone thinks that acting and it's all like Hollywood is glamorous and all this. I was like, yeah, it's pretty can get boring. <laughs> it all can the get way. boring. Yeah. Bring a book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so before we uh, wrap up, I always like to end with a rapid fire round as I'm sure you've heard. Okay. So we're going to put 90 seconds on the clock. Okay. Uh, and we're going to see how many questions you get through. No pressure. I don't think anyone has done all of them. Because there's always that one that they're like, oh, God. Uh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's go. Alrighty. So okay. we're going to start with coffee or okay. tea? Tea. Hero or villain? Villain. Drama or comedy? Drama. TV or film? TV. Theater or screen acting? Theater. Plays or musicals? Plays. 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 <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't an actor, what would you do for a living? be a gymnast Ooh, okay uh what is your go-to audition song or monologue oh gosh um all the world's a stage and all women really players Love it. Yes. Uh, what's your most recent netflix binge 
Ooh, I don't have one. Uh, it's not Netflix. Say that one next. It's a show called Next. Okay. Uh, if you got to be in the revival of any show, what would it be? Starlight Express. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your favorite accent to do, and can we hear it? I don't have one. No, I, it's it's probably my uh, British accent, I guess, because I lived in London for so long. But um, this is pretty much my my accent, I guess. <laughs> uh, what's the worst side job that you've had? Hollywood Video. Yeah. Oh God, I forgot seeing, those existed. Seeing a bunch, yeah, seeing a bunch of other actors doing what I wanted to do while I'm in this little <laughs> town in Nevada. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, what role did you have the most fun playing? When I got to give William H. Macy a blowjob. I'm <laughs> shameless, I'm assuming. Yeah, shameless. Uh, and, okay, so we're out of time. But uh, so last one, in 10 words or less, what advice would you give to a young actor? Do the work because no one else will do it for you. I think that's done. Okay. I can't count, but it's fine. <laughs> because no one will do it for you. Oh, that's 12. Do the work. That's it. Do the work. Whatever the work is. Whatever, you know, whatever it is, do it. Is. It could be, yeah, do, do the work because because no one else, no one will, no one else will. There, do the work because no one else will. And that is it for this week's episode of Actors with Issues with special guest Christopher Aguilar, who you can follow on Instagram at the Christopher Aguilar and follow us at Actors with Issues. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening and catch new episodes every Friday. And be sure to tune into Christopher's new podcast, The Christopher Aguilar Show, available on all podcasting platforms. This is Juan Ayala signing off.